It's summertime, and AIM is championing on to make Anderson a better place. There's a new county budget for next year that's been passed. We're going to chat with an Anderson legendary professional wrestler, and it is time to vote again. Very important. We'll talk more about that. All this and more on the June 27th edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast. News from people you trust. And it has been another great week in Anderson. And let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. It's been busy. Of course, the heat and the drought continue. We are getting a few showers here and there, and the ground is just as hard as a stone. I've talked to several people talking about trying to plant fall gardens, and none are having very much luck digging. Um, most of us are probably watering our gardens more than we had planned, and we do hope those thunderstorms bring a lot of water with them. Hope we get them all this week. And last week brought some great entertainment to the county and went into this week, actually, too. And, and I don't mean just the uh, wonderful county council meeting last Tuesday. We'll talk more about that later. I mean, the return of the theater festival, and one of the big things that they brought back was the Shakespeare in the Park in Carolina Wren Park downtown. Final, if, you, if you listen to this, the final one is Tonight, Rain or Shine. I highly recommend it. I watched a rehearsal of the Much Ado About Nothing. It's an updated version of the play, and it was very entertaining. Despite the heat, uh, David Larson and his cast and crew put together a great show and attracted big crowds downtown, even in the, the, the really scorching heat and put on some really good performances. We appreciate all their hard work and for sticking with it and soldiering on in this weather. Of course, the block party was a hot one, too, but it was also well-attended. Thursday nights downtown just wouldn't be the same without him. We appreciate Kerry Jones and all he does for that. If you hadn't been downtown to one of the block parties, then you, you really missed out on getting to see folks in the community weekly. And it's a good time for families, and it's all free, and you just can't beat it. Vacation time's in full swings that time of year, and the days are getting shorter. As I record this, there are 187 days left in 2016, so it is time to start buying Christmas presents. Well, it's, Christmas is actually only 181 days away, so you might want to hurry up a little bit. Shop now, avoid the rush. Also, all is forgiven if you're one of those people who is already listening to holiday music. It's okay. We forgive you. Nobody's got anything to say about it. At least I don't. Don't wait too long to book your Christmas parties either. Uh, be surprised. People now are already booking fall and holiday events at some of the best places. And if you really want to do it right and stay within your budget, call Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill downtown. Did you know Sullivan Caters? That's right. Sullivan Caters. That's something you can say it with me. Sullivan Caters. Um, they not only cater the best food in the world, they do it at prices that put most others to shame. I've talked to people who didn't call Sullivan's because they thought it would be too expensive, and when they call them, they were less expensive than the other places they've done. They do parties, weddings, business events, of course, all the holiday stuff. And as a longtime sponsor of the Anderson Observer Podcast News from People You Trust, I can tell you Sullivan's is not hard to get excited about. I've been eating down there since they opened, and I eat there very often now. Never had a single bad meal, never. Nowhere else I can say that about. Their lunch and dinner is unmatched in Anderson, and their desserts are unmatched anywhere on earth. Um, if you haven't tried them, there's just no way to tell you how good they are. Sullivan's also repeatedly makes all these lists of the greatest restaurants in the country. They're one of only two in, the, uh, in, in South Carolina chosen among the top 100 restaurants in the United States. And Bill Nickerson and his wife Sabre kicked off the revitalization of downtown more than 18 years ago. And that Sullivan's just gets better and better. they got some new menu items you might want to try, and again, don't forget the desserts. How can you forget the desserts? Sullivan's is as good as it gets. Visit them on Facebook or online to see the full menu. You can see the new items on there, too. And don't forget that Sullivan's caters, and they do it better than anyone else. Uh, check them out. It is the perfect place to have an election after-election party and celebration this week. Tuesday, three Anderson County candidates will move on to the November elections, while there will be three more who have to wait until the next election cycle if they want to serve the public. 
Uh, and you're going to be the one who makes that happen, each one of us, if we get out and vote. Please do not let this runoff election get by us again with a 2 to 6% voter turnout, which is something we've seen in other years. These are, offices are really crucial to the future of Anderson County. Um, this, the first two I want to talk a little bit about because I know more about these two. Of course, the other one is always critical because it's a statewide office. But the solicitor's race, we have David Wagner facing Rain Campbell. You can hear interviews with both of these candidates uh, in earlier Anderson Observer podcasts this year. You can look back and find them on our, on our site, andersonobserver.com, under podcast. But this race has gotten kind of ugly in the past week, and a lot of people are talking about that. We'll see if it makes any difference on who people vote for. Some people have changed their votes based on the way things have been going. You can check out those candidates online, or you can hear their interviews on the Anderson Observer podcast, news from people you trust. And, of course, in Anderson County, council has a District 3 seat open. The incumbent narrowly lost getting into the runoff, so the runoff is between between newcomer Ray Graham, and he faces former councilman Eddie Moore. Now, Graham has said it is time for positive, new, fresh voices on council, and I totally agree. We're already going to get at least one of these new council members in District 1 after the November elections following the announcement you know, that Francis Crowder is not going to seek another term. So we'll have one new, new voice and fresh face in District 1. It would be great to have one in District 3 as well. Hope you will get out and vote. It would be great for Anderson County to get another newcomer on council, especially one with a positive attitude. So I encourage everybody Tuesday. Find out if anybody in that area needs a ride, need to vote, do it. That part of the county also is going to choose candidate for the South Carolina House Representative District 7 seat. Uh, Belton City Councilman Jay West will face Honeypath businessman Blake Parker in this race. I have to admit I don't know a whole lot about this race. I uh, was unable to set up interviews with these gentlemen. But uh, since it's not in my district, I'm going to leave that up to you. Check their Facebook pages, give them a call, and ask them why you should vote for them. But whatever you do, please get out and vote no matter what you support or who you support anderson county needs you to vote uh, this past week is a good example of why we've got a good county council seated now and this county council passed a new fiscal year budget for 2016-17 uh, only a few increases they're minor and they're for good causes and i'm gonna talk more about that in a minute but the council did a few things that really need to be commended as part of this document that they passed this year uh, Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns had this to say about the budget. I'm talking to Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns about the budget that was passed Tuesday night. And first, I'll get your overall impressions of the budget. Um, you've been doing budgets here for a long time. How does this one stack up, and uh, what do people need to know about it that they may have missed? I think that uh, this is a good county budget. I think that it's going to address some needs that the county has. We can start with stormwater there was an increase in stormwater fees but rather than put those on the citizens of anderson county the increase in stormwater fees are going to go to the developers and then they're fairly nominal like hundred and, dollars and no a little bit more than that but they're they're nominal they're, they're not going to increase the cost of a house by 80 million dollars okay right. you might get some pennies in there so if you hear different that's not true but what that will do, it was allow us to hire another inspector. And where we are right now, we have 20 days after we receive information to turn it around. And we are right now bumping up on that 19th day in a lot of cases. So hopefully this is going to allow us to serve the developing community better. Any other changes that people will notice? I mean, that's just developers notice. Anything else anybody will notice? <clears throat> Everybody will notice a slight increase in their solid waste fee. And that will be around $2 annually. And the reason that we're doing that is because we have to do some work on 
by two, solid $2 waste. $2 a year? Yeah, $2 a year. How much is that a day, Rusty? I, don't, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. And so, A, that will allow us to complete the last convenience center in the Townville area because the Townville Convenience Center right now is more like a death trap than a convenience center. And that will complete all of the convenience centers that we have to do. Plus, it will allow us to upgrade some of our equipment that is about worn out in solid waste. And we certainly don't want DHEC or EPA coming in here and telling us what we have to do. Well, anybody's been at the convenience centers. They're one of the most used things. I mean, they are very used. And and I cannot, and, and the best way to keep down any further increases in solid waste is for people to recycle, 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 and recycle. They make it easy at the centers. And the, and the more we recycle, the more money we make by selling those recyclables on the open market, and that keeps these prices down. The other thing, uh, one of the big things they did, the library, as you know, has their own separate millage. And uh, Ms. Faithline does a wonderful job managing that huge system here in Anderson County. But they needed an increase to provide more services. I mean, you have a lot of people who still think of a library as a building where you go into. You can go over there and get free, free hookup to just about any information or just about any magazine that you can imagine. I was going to bring up the library. People don't realize how important a library is to a society, and particularly to our town, and how good a system we've got. Uh, They forget that they're, right now, if you're looking for a job and don't have internet access, you go to the library. And if you go to the library, just about any day of the week, every computer terminal they have is filled, and I would say 95% of those people, Greg, are doing just what you said. They're looking for a job, and there are people who will help them do that at the library. So I consider it just another job center. We need to get our salaries up for our librarians. Well, I mean, I mean, when you have some surrounding counties much smaller than us and we continuously lose good people to other areas because right. we don't pay enough, this will make us more competitive, but this will also allow us to offer more services to the public. People need, you need to go to any library in Anderson County and ask what's available and you will be absolutely stunned and amazed on what you can get there and what you can interact with the library and never go I was there. Say, you can get books without ever going there. That's you can changed. get books without ever going there. You can get magazines. You can get information from Consumer Reports. Movies, music. Movies, anything. music, genealogy, you name it, you can get it. But and the all- bottom line it goes back to if you bring somebody in here looking for a place to move a company and they don't see a good library or a good library system, immediately we drop down on Absolutely. And so far, I mean... I just think that was something that was desperately needed, and obviously it doesn't matter what I think, but council thought it was desperately needed. And uh, really the only people I've seen who who didn't approve of that library are people who call it the library, which I would suggest that they might need to go to the library. They don't have a card and they can't read. so. It's a <laughs> and the other thing that we did is we increased millage slightly for Tri-County Tech. And Tri-County Tech, as you know, their central core at that campus is old, antiquated, and not doing the job. And so this is going to allow us to help Tri-County Tech build that new building. But we always need to remember that uh, Tri-County Tech is in Anderson County. It's not in Oconee and Pickens. They need to remember that we have our own campus here in Anderson. They also need to know that all the welding uh, training that goes on is here in Anderson County. and. Our new career center. And, and, and all of those things, 
and, and going in cooperation with them. And so they are a vital part of economic development, a vital part of economic development, because when a company comes in, they want to go see Tri-County Tech, because that's where the majority of their employees come from. So I think if you add everything up, you probably see a 4 or $5 increase on a $100,000 house. And so <clears throat> I think it fixes some things that needed to be fixed. And so I think it overall, it's, it, it, it's a good budget. Well, the county kind of paused any sort of increases for a number of years. And we have, some of these things we no, had. It, for the last seven years, we didn't increase taxes. We took away a mill. Right. We reduced taxes by a mill. So we're trying to, with the prosperity and the growth of getting, hitting 200,000 people and all the estimates from the census, something had to be done. To well, something had to be done because, like I've told you before, we are no longer Duckburg. Duckburg is not us anymore. This has become a, becoming an entirely different and hopefully a more wonderful place. Mm -hmm. So there are things that we have to do to catch up and to compete. And that's what this budget gives us a chance to continue to move forward. And we're hoping by doing all of these things, which really every last one of them is connected to economic development, is going to provide more jobs. You know last month, that was in your newspaper, that we had more people working in Anderson County than we have had in the history, the entire history of Anderson County. Another interesting thing in there is, you know, they kept talking nationally and statewide that the number of people seeking jobs, even in our neighboring counties, had dropped. Not the case in Anderson. So once again, we are atypical in our development path. And it's a good thing because Coca-Cola has now opened up that... And Coca-Cola opened yesterday with 150, and they announced yesterday that it was going to be 200 jobs. Right. So instead of the 150, it's going to be 200 jobs. And I do not think we have seen the last of the expansion of Coca-Cola. I'd almost guarantee that. And plus, pretty stable company. I'd say. But I think they're doing all right. If they can do for Anderson what they did for Atlanta, we'll be all right. So. Uh, okay. And then talking about economic development, the last question I guess was, where are we at on the industrial park? Uh, we have just about completed, almost 99.9% .9 completed our due diligence on that property, and we will be moving ahead smartly with that very quickly. So before the end of the year, we'll start? I think maybe before the end of the May month. May have somebody in there by the end of the year? No, we will, take, we will purchase that property, and I would think we would have somebody in there within six months. We've already been approached by private developers interested in partnering with us to purchase land to uh, build spec buildings. And as you know, we've lost some companies because we didn't have a building already there. So I think everything looks really, really good right now. And one thing, you know, I think if you want a job in Anderson County, there's so many ways and so many paths to go get that job. You're not, you may not be the CEO of a company the first day, but a lot of these companies that are moving in and expanding, you get in on the bottom floor, there's a good chance you can move your, yourself up. And we have companies right now that are looking for employees. I mean, if you had a welding degree right now, you're gold. They will actually compete to get you, you know, signing bonuses and everything like that. But what we always have to remember that this we're in a capitalistic society, okay? And we never know when somebody's going to close up. So you have to keep that pipeline filled. And with two things that have happened this week, I mean, Anderson is not a local economy anymore. We are 
part of the global economy. Most international investment of any county in South of Carolina. Any county in South Carolina. But you think of the two things that happened this week. One, they opened the Panama Canal. If you don't think that won't affect Anderson County, yep. you are absolutely wrong. Right, a huge wrong. story about how that's going to affect the whole state, and especially, you know, we'll, we'll, and especially up here in the industrial right. sector of South Carolina. And the other thing was the vote for Britain to leave the European Union, and that is going to have a huge effect on Anderson County. I can't help what anybody thinks it is. So we're monitoring both of those situations. And you think that we're here in Duckburg. We ain't in Duckburg anymore. Fifty-something uh, companies from 23 different countries. Absolutely. Who would have believed that when those of us who were raised here and grew up around here, and if you saw somebody with an accent, you'd and, have a crowd and talk to them. And we have more foreign flags coming soon. Oh, that's good news. That's good news. What else for the rest of the summer? Anything else for the rest of the summer that I need to know about? Oh, Lord. We're waiting on the EMS study to come out. Mm -hmm. That's going to have a huge impact that's on soon, what we right? do. It's soon what we're going to do here in Anderson County to uh, deal with our EMS situation. And we're going to be looking at each one of our operations here in the county because we have a lot of wonderful, wonderful people who work for Anderson County. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we are doing the best job that we can, a better job than anybody else could possibly do. And so we're going to be bringing in some uh, <coughs> consultants who have an absolutely good idea on what are the best practices in the United States. We don't want to look to continuously add county employees, which we don't, but we want to make sure that whatever's the latest and greatest going on in the United States, and I'm talking from every department, we've already begun this in our sewer department. We've already hired probably the smartest man in the sewer in the state of South Carolina. The I was going to say, it takes money to hire the best people. It does, but but already this gentleman, because he has such, and he ran Rewa forever, and when Rewa was a little, uh, the Greenville Sewer Authority, and now it's Rewa, and it's probably the best run system in the country. He's helping us on a consultant basis to bring us up to where we need to do. And that saves us money on the other end. That's what people forget. If you bring in the best people, then it's it's dollar-wise. You're penny-wise and dollar-foolish not to bring in the best people because long-term, the county has more money if the people you bring in do their job right. And we believe in training and making sure our people go and learn the best, but sometimes it's good to bring somebody in, just like we're doing on EMS and like we're doing on sewer, and we're going to expand that. So I think that in the next six months you're going to see a zillion changes and I think in the next two years you're going to see two zillion changes because we want to be lean, mean, smart, and efficient. I know we've talked about this before because I've heard the only, the, you know, sometimes people are critical of consultants but it's not like you were allowing the consultants to come in and tell Anderson County what to do. You're taking their information and your information and coming up what's best for... If we're out here every day working on our sewer lines and we have probably the best sewer director, Derek Singleton, that you can get, okay? But I guarantee you there's some people out there who know a whole lot more about what we could be doing than me and Derek, mm -hmm. you know? And this is not a threatening situation to come in and kill people. Right. It's to educate us. We need to know because we're never smart enough. We don't know everything. So let's go find those people who know this stuff. Let's take the best of what they have to offer and get on with life because, I mean, I'm well, telling you, that's the key to even economic development. Is what what are people doing best? What are people and what doing can we best? Do better. Now, of course, I think that we're probably the best consultants on that. But I'm biased. Well, we we've got a pretty good track record the last yeah, few years. Yeah, 49 so far. 
and we're waiting to get 50. All right. That's, I just want to get a quick update because I know a lot of people were asking about the budget. And, uh, I mean, the sheer numbers, people don't realize how many people there are in this county that need services. And, uh, you know, it's, the old joke is for $1,000, you get $1,000 worth of services. <laughs> you don't get more than that. And, and uh, you know, half of our budget, well, not half of our budget, but half the employees work for the sheriff's department. Right. You know, so you probably got around 390, 400 people not on the not on the sheriff's side, but on the county side, taking care of two hundred thousand people. Right. So. Yeah. Good luck with that in a business good, somewhere else. Good luck with that. All right, we'll catch up again later. Actually. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. I want to say again how great the Anderson County Library is. He mentioned it there, and we we discussed it for just a minute, and how I'm amazed that how many folks don't know what a jewel we have right here in Anderson. One of the best libraries around anywhere and for a city of our size, probably the best. I'm a library junkie. I love to visit libraries when I travel. I grew up in libraries. I grew up reading in the small library on the Village Green in Pendleton where a very patient librarian helped me work my way through all the kids' books and then into the world of great books and literature. And I am forever, forever indebted for that and grateful. And I am biased towards libraries. Um, the author Neil Gaiman once said, Google can bring you back 100,000 answers, but a librarian can bring you back the right one. And that is the case. Those of you who remember the days before Google, when you had a question, you'd call your librarian. Well, they're still there, and they still have answers, and those answers are the right ones. So kudos to Anderson County Council for providing the library money to pay our librarians a wage comparable to those in, in comparable counties. Uh, our librarian salaries have lagged behind and been low for way too long. I mean, embarrassingly low compared to some small counties. This is long overdue, and I am really glad to see that it was corrected in this year's budget, and it only took a small increase in the library's millage to do it. Uh, if you haven't visited the library lately in person or online, check it out. You'll be surprised at how much you can do without even getting out of your chair, and if you go up there, it's a great place. And it also serves as a function for job searching. We, we talked about that with, with Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns. He mentioned that our library is helping folks find jobs, and it is a critical resource for that. And another critical resource helping job seekers and other Andersonians in need is AIM. After more than 25 years, AIM just keeps getting better and better and serving more and more people. It's giving our citizens in need a hand up and hope for a better future in ways that they never dreamed when they first started serving those 26 years ago now. And founding director Christy King-Brock said the future looks even brighter for, at AIM. And guess what? They're even hiring down there. Okay, and great. I'm talking to Christy. And it's been a while since we've talked, I guess. Okay. Um, Time flies. Summers, we're almost at the halfway point of the year. And I know one of the big things that's ongoing for y'all that still is the summer food program. Yes. Where the kids who might get a meal at school don't get one in the summer. How's that going? Was it? Did people respond pretty well for funding? Absolutely. I think we are all but about $300 away from having it fully funded. Wow. Um, people respond when you come out and let them know that there's a need. Um, we'll probably serve about 10,000 um, children. Our, bags um, throughout Explain the Explain how summer. that works in case people don't know. We have seven complexes that we actually deliver our considered sites, government complexes, and we go out and we deliver two bags um, on a Friday so that they have something for a Friday and a Saturday. And it's essentially breakfast and lunch. Um, nothing that they have to even put in the microwave, but fresh fruit, um, drink boxes, Pop-Tarts, um, Lunchables, fruit cups, those kind of things that they can at least have two meals that they don't have to depend on an adult to help them cook. And we do that every week during the summer with the exception of the 4th of July week. So on Friday about 1030, 
they go out and start setting up at the seven sites that they have. About how many meals do you think this summer you'll? About 10,000 is, is the estimate, right. okay. around 10,000, yeah. Well, what else is going on this summer? Well, one of the things that I'm really excited about, Greg, is our Snap to Work program has really taken on um, legs and it's, it's growing and building. Um, we went to Columbia to meet with the folks uh, about Snap to Work and have an opportunity to submit 100% funding request in. Um, believe it or not, we are the largest community-based contract in the state of South Carolina. Um, there's only 16 contractors in South Carolina, but South Carolina is the second leading Snap to Work program in the country. So we're really looking at ways we um, have a position on site at Tri-County Tech um, to be able to help people through the bureaucracy, if you will, of finding funds available for quick jobs and continuing ed. The, if you're going into the degreed programs, um, the credentialed programs, you can get Pell Grant lottery money and most everybody can afford to go. If you are going for the quick jobs, um, the continuing ed department, those jobs are not, or those training opportunities are not funded through any grants, foundation, scholarships, or anything like that. So a lot of people don't think they have an opportunity to go back. But there's a lot of money there and available. There's a Pathways program for in-demand jobs that fully funds these trainings. There's the South Carolina Manufacturing Certification Funding that the South Carolina General Assembly funded again um, that does things like the CNC, the uh, machining, um, welding. Most of the people that go through this have a job before they finish the session with the minimum of $12 an hour. Some of them up to $20 an hour. So a lot of opportunities. So what we're doing is identifying the unemployed and the underemployed and helping them with case management, supportive services, and providing um, either we're providing the training dollars or we're connecting them with training dollars that are available at Tri-County All right, so the economy is improving, oh, yeah. but you're still seeing an awful lot of people caught in that underemployed, unemployed. We're seeing a lot of people, um, Greg, that really are underemployed. They're working, um, and they may be managing an assistant manager at a fast food restaurant and they don't want to leave that to pursue something better without some assurance that if they get this training they're going to have a job. So what we're trying to do is get employers on the front end so that they are interviewing these folks and they've said to these folks if you go through this training and get your certificate you've got a job immediately with my company making $15 an hour. That's how you get people secure with letting go of that job that's not really a self-sustaining wage for their family um, and moving them towards self-sustaining. And there's some incentives for employers to do this too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, there are a lot of incentives out there, a lot of training dollars. So we're just really excited about being able to fill that gap. Um, our partnership with Tri-County is, is really getting strong. A lot of opportunities there um, for us to do what we each do well. Um, and then, of course, the people. And a lot of new benefit. jobs coming into the county, too. That a are, lot of new and jobs. It, I mean, we're actually beginning to run out of workforce. Exactly, because we don't have the workforce that have the skills that these employers need to go to work. So that's our goal, is to bridge that skills gap 
Um, so to work in partnership with employers and finding out what their skill needs are, to work in partnership with the folks that need this training and connect them with the resources to be able to get the training and then fill those jobs. Also dispelling that um, myth about manufacturing. Manufacturing is not the manufacturing of 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and we've got it, I, I call it the manufacturing hangover um, because we still are caught up in what it used to mean to work in a mill. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Very different. Yeah, no, no cotton dust or yeah. anything to... Uh... Cleaner than my house, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we're talking about jobs. Uh, AIM is growing because the need, obviously, is growing. Plus, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but the programs like the, the SNAP to Work program you're talking about, Women's Children Succeeding program and things, they all require humans to... Yes. to make them work. So AIM's experience, uh, expanding your hiring some people, right? Exactly. You know, Greg, for 26 years, I've been the ED here. And we, for, for the most Let's part... Let's face it, the first 10 years, you were the uh, janitor and <laughs> the uh, chauffeur. Maybe about the first 15 years. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you multitask. But we're at the point now that in order for us to continue to be really efficient, we've got to invest in our human capital. Um, so we are, I'm excited that we've, we've gone through some growing pains and some challenges, um, but we have totally restructured and our structure now, um, will be underneath me will be three people, vice president of programs, vice president of operations, which will handle all the day-to-day stuff, all the HR stuff, all the making sure that we're legal and in compliance with insurance and risk management and all that stuff. Manage the IT contract um, and the finance. That's the position that we're looking for right now. We're hiring for that. And then the uh, other vice president will be the vice president of resource development, both financial resources and human resources as far as volunteers, because we have always been uh, an organization ran by volunteers. That's been our lifeblood. And as long as I'm the director here, we will continue to be an organization that is is really the lifeblood of our organization is our volunteers. Well, AIM seem to have really rebooted in the last couple of years. Yes. There's a new energy and a new enthusiasm. I see, you can just see it because, I mean, you know, what happened? I mean, what what brought... Well, um, we, we started looking at who we were and where we were going, and, you know, AIM was this vast, and, and I've had people call us a monster, because we did so much. A good much. <laughs> and it was really hard to even tell the AIM story because we were doing so many different things. Uh, and that was, I take responsibility because that happened out of me identifying needs in the community and nobody responding to those needs and then being in a place where I identified a resource to meet that need and all of a sudden AIM had a new program and we kept adding new programs. But there, you know, we really needed somebody to help us frame that. Uh, and we went through a process where we reframed who we were and we realized uh, what made AIM very, very special, unique, and unlike any other organization anywhere in the country that we've been able to find, is the true continuum of services that we have. Um, our desire from day one was always to help people help themselves, uh, but we were created first with crisis-oriented programming. Um, but now we go from being able to stabilize folks through feeding them a basic human need, helping them with shelter and utilities, um, but putting that accountability piece and saying, we're gonna help you right now, but we wanna tell you about all these other opportunities you have to be able to help yourself moving forward. Now, if you're willing to do these things, we're gonna continue to support you. 
if you're not, AIM's not the place for you. Um, so really putting that accountability piece in and moving people from a, a crisis point to that of getting training, getting an education, and being able to then take care of themselves and their families and give back to the organization. So it's a full circle kind of thing. And it's all still in the context of a very uh, ministry-oriented approach because, I mean, you, I know you've mentioned that and we've talked in the past that people forget this is a ministry. Exactly. It's not just, it's not some government agency. It's not some just charity, but y'all have some, there's an underlying uh, approach to everything you do. Spirituality is a core value, and I truly believe that you can't minister to parts of people. And I think that's why our system overall is broken, because we have just looked at somebody's physical need, or somebody's emotional need, or their mental need, or their spiritual need as far as the church community, but we haven't ministered to people as whole people. And let's face it, we are whole people. Uh, and that is very important, and that brings us to something new that we have here. Um, Amy Hoyes, my um, Vice President of Resource Development, has um, been very, very adamant that she wanted a prayer room. Um, space is, you know, um, a premium here because we're out of space. Um, but we found the space, and Amy has a prayer room now. So from 9 to 11, um, there will be a minister, uh, a volunteer minister from somewhere in this community who will be on site. So if anybody would like to speak with a minister, we have that available. Um, keeping our connection to the community of faith is very important to us. We were created by the community of faith uh, over 26 years ago. Um, keeping that connection has been somewhat difficult, Greg, because... I was going to ask you, we've talked about this before, and again... I know you've shortened the name to AIM, but it was Anderson Interfaith Ministries. It was ministries combining together to work as a co-op, basically, mm -hmm. to try. Um, is it still plateaued? Is this church support dropped? Is it plateaued? Is it getting better? I mean, where are we with that? <laughs> um, the, the more we seek out to be connected with the churches, it seems like they are getting further and further away. Unfortunately, when that happens, we have to seek secular support. Um, we're going after corporate gifts. We're going after foundation gifts. But the churches have a responsibility to us. They created us to be the hands and feet of Christ and to minister to folks in the community. Um, and, and they still send people down here by the oh, yes. truckload, right? It's real easy to send people to us, but there, there's a greater responsibility. So you send folks. You also need to send money. Right. And not only money. You need to send people. That human capital to us is just as important as the financial capital um, in working with folks. So. And I think we've, we've had this discussion in the past too, but uh, the average referral essentially is about a $200 Two, cost. $250, depending on time of year and right. what we're assisting with. Yeah. And what we want the churches to understand is that what we do is more than pay a power bill or help somebody with a mortgage payment. We pride ourselves on having the knowledge of what federal, state, what other programs are out there for long-term stability. We want to help people stabilize themselves so they don't need our help or their church's help or anybody else's help. So when a church is just paying a power bill, and, and I think it's great that churches are helping their own and they need to, but sometimes you may be doing a disservice to that person if you're not allowing us to connect them with some long-term assistance. Um, training, education, the SC Help Program, uh, which is the Mortgage Foreclosure uh, Assistance Program for the state of South Carolina, and we're a processor for that. Uh, we're one of the only processors in about a six-county area. It has to start in Columbia, but it comes back to us, and we help people through the 
process of gathering the documents they need. But this can do up to $36,000 in mortgage assistance. Helping people catch up and get rid And that, again, that brings back you, something that has been added over the years is the housing components has really grown, the need for housing and adequate housing and housing and... I ran away from that for a long time. Well, it's a big, it's a big, <laughs> that's a monster there. You know, yes, a monster. yes. But now y'all are sort of the go-to people for housing because we don't have a housing person. For the county. For the county, right. Right, right. So, Which is kind of unusual. Yes, for, especially for a county this large. And, you know, we um, had been able to take part of an IDA program, the Individual Development Account Program, uh, because the state of South Carolina Department of Social Services had put the match money up so it could be used all across the state of South Carolina. A year ago, that funding ran out. And unfortunately, we cannot find um, local commitments to be able to reactivate that program. Now, I will say the United Way has made a commitment to us that if we can find match money, they've given us a challenge grant through Venture Dollars that they will put money on the table. So um, this is a for every $1 people save, it's matched with $3. It can be used for education, home ownership, or small business development. It is a true economic driver. Um, we helped one young lady get a business started here. So that's giving back to the community. When people buy houses, that's broadening your tax base. Mm -hmm. When people get an education, they get off of uh, DSS programs and take care of themselves. So it truly is having a huge economic impact but we have to have our community buy-in. Florence, the city of Florence, felt so strongly about this program, they gave $50,000 to regenerate the program in Florence, South Carolina. Wow. Well, uh, we're going, we're going, we could stay here all day talking about things, but let's, you were talking about they don't realize all you do. Let's, let's kind of run through you know, sort of the Reader's Digest condensed version, <laughs> although that's an old person saying that because they don't make those books anywhere. I'm no. guessing. But, but uh, uh, we've got... If, on the bottom level, things people think of a lot, you still feed, how many families? We're, you know, um, interestingly, our food ministry numbers are down. They were between 850 and 900. They're about 750 to 800 That's a good now. sign. It's a great sign because what's happening, Greg, is we're holding people accountable. That accountability has moved to the food pantry, and after three times of being served, they're told that they have to be assessed in our main office to determine what their needs are so that we can help connect them with long-term assistance. Um, that has created um, an opportunity for us to make sure we're serving the right people. Because people that are just there to get food and have no intention of helping themselves are people that are there to get food and they really don't need it, they're no longer coming. Mm -hmm. um, but we still have to Have you seen a lot of people help through moving them over and getting them Yes, one, of, one and... of the coolest stories is we had a young lady coming in. Um, she was making $8,000 a year, single mom, $8,000 a year raising her child off of that, um, was assisted a utility bill or something like that, was connected with our Christmas program, then was connected to our Pathways to Employment. We were able to serve her through SNAP to Work. She got the stackable credentials in healthcare. She's now employed with AMED, $14.50 an hour full-time with benefits. Wow. In a very short period of time. And she probably so didn't know any of that was available. People, yeah. And that's the point I want to make. When people get a little cynical, um, a lot of times it's just people don't know. They get, they get. I'm sure when you're a single mom making $8,000 a year, your free time to explore your, your options is pretty limited. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true with other people that, you know, you see. And I, I like what you said because the percentage, it shows you the percentage is pretty small. 
people who want help and who want, who want things to get better is is the overwhelming majority, not the the group that gets criticized, the little five percent or whatever that's just trying to work the system. Most of the people are really trying to get have a better life, but they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And and now you've seen it here, and of course we've seen it in communities across the county and really across the country. But I don't want to live there. It's become generational. So if you're second, third generation, you don't know that there's anything better. And nobody's told you, hey, you could do this. There's who's who's going to tell you? Mm-hmm. So helping people believe in themselves and believe it's possible—that's that's the key in any of our programs here at AIM, but in particular our Women and Children Succeeding. Uh, that's where I was going next. Well, Women and Children Succeeding program is still growing and still. Oh, yeah. yeah, really excited. Where we're going to be working with the Riley Institute. And success rate of that's very high too. That's the other thing because a lot of these programs, people come and go and drop out. Mm-hmm. Y'all have a very high success rate. I want to say it's about 65%. If they start in the program, they successfully complete the program. We're now seeing the generational impact. Um, One of our participants' uh, success stories, um, her son graduated from Westside last year and uh, received $599,000 in scholarship money. He's a Bill and Melinda Gates scholar. Wow. So we're beginning to see the women that have been in the program, their children are now, and, and... most of these are first-generation college grads, so now you're seeing that second generation go on to college. Right. So, um, very exciting. Um, the Riley Institute is going to be working with us to um, help us identify characteristics that these women have for success, so that we're working to instill as these women come in, so that our success rates continue to grow. Right. So we got that, and of course, one of the things that a lot of churches do still get involved in, and it is time to start thinking about it, believe it or not, is the Christmas. Yes. Because there's always probably more requests than you have money to, to fund. And now's the time for little group, small churches or small groups or whatever to begin putting aside $50 a month that they'll have an, a, enough to take care of a family at Christmas. When, when can people start requesting? We typically kick the Christmas program off October 1st. Right, right, right around trick or treat, so others can eat kind of. That's, right. That's coming up too. That'll be here before you know it too. Believe it or not. That will be. Was that yeah. four months away or something? Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> <laughs> and then back to school. Y'all do things for back to school. Um, we work if we get we quit doing a true full fledged backpack program because so many other people were doing it. Because so many people were doing it, and we're not going to waste your money. Right. And so what we do though, because there's so many people who had gotten in such a habit of giving us that stuff. We then work with some of the school guidance counselors in the Title I schools across the county and just hand that to them so we're not, we don't know who's getting it. We really don't care. We have to trust that the school guidance counselors are getting it to the people that most need it. Well, and I think as we talk about this, it's funny, you and I have been talking about this for years and years and years, but there are an awful lot of people who don't know about AIM still. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It, my mind. Even, I'm not talking about just people who just moved down here from Albany, New York. I'm talking about people who've lived here a long time. Or they have misconceptions. Or they do it. have very, uh, but point I wanted to make from what you just said one of the hallmarks and I think it's a, it's a good thing of our community is by and large there's an awful lot of sharing mm-hmm. between the, the, the charitable organizations here in Anderson um, you're not I mean uh, there are communities and I have talked to people in nonprofits. I guess I, I, I Greenville for example because I got a friend over there and he said man it's so territorial that people will shoot you in the back to get a grant that you're trying to get and you don't even know it you know so you have to be careful what you tell anybody whereas when y'all have too much of something or somebody else has too much there's just a lot of sharing going on there is um, floyd hill has been the the Food. king of 
of making sure that everything that was available was used and right. we were wasting as little as possible. He's done a fabulous job of that. Right. And since I mentioned another thing, uh, you have volunteers who go and do um, accessible ramps for, yes, our ramp for senior citizens. Program. I'm sure that's growing as people get older. And it is. It is. Um, and we're certified for ER, emergency rehab, and OOR, which is the owner-occupied rehab. ER will do $7,500 in rehabilitation for el qualified eligible homeowners. OOR will do $20,000. Um, but our challenge is finding licensed residential and commercial contractors to do the work. Although it's paid for, they can make a lot more money on the open market. And we lost so many of them after the bubble yeah. burst in 2008. But what we want to get across to these builders is do one a year. We're not going to right. ask you to do five, six. Do one a year and let that be your ministry opportunity to give back. And now, who qualifies for these kind of things? Um, it's, of course, income-based. Um, mm -hmm. It's also, um, if somebody has a mobile home, they will do mobile home repairs, but they can't, the mobile home can't be more than 20 years old. Right, I understand that. Um, throwing money. One, one, I'll give you a story right now. We had a lady call. She was a veteran. Uh, honorably discharged. Her um, husband had passed away. She lives in a 40-year-old trailer <gasps> in Piedmont oh and um, has no access to water. And so we were trying, so it, ER wouldn't work for her right. because her trailer was over 40 years old. But uh, we've got uh, Clayton King Ministries mm -hmm. and several groups are rallying together. Salkahatchee, which is a part of the Salkahatchee Summer Service, is part of United Methodist Church. They're all coming together uh, and putting, trying to make sure that this veteran has, has water. Well, again, that, the theme of coming together. I mean, it's the things that you, you can't do, you don't turn people away, you say, let's see if we can find who people forget. And that's that's why, you know, really from the outset, why churches supported Anderson and Faith Ministry when it was founded. It's just, they didn't know what to do. Right. And they either were getting hit by the same people working the system over and over, or they were putting Band-Aids on things that were gaping wounds that what the person was couldn't the next month they're back for the same problem. And that, that was sort of the vision cast from very early on is how can we sustain long-term help for people? And, and I think that's a great story. I, that's the first time I've heard that from you about the, the food numbers shrinking a little because people... Uh, and our emergency assistance are numbers are shrinking because they know that we're going to help you one time. Right. But we're going to tell you about our pathways to employment. Yeah. We're going to tell you about our financial literacy classes. We're going to tell you about these other pieces that we have here. And if we don't see any activity on your part, if we've made a referral to Vote Rehab and you right. didn't go, you're not going to be helped. And so the grapevine is, you know, huge out there. So well, these people are saying, you know, if you go to AIM, they're going to make you do some stuff. So we know that we're getting the people, either the first time who hadn't heard that, but most of the time people are not coming back because they know we're not going to help them again. Well, and it's... it's, it's you're handing them a sandwich, but you're saying the door of the buffet's over there, you know? Mm -hmm. You just need to sign in. And, and, and the fact that more people are getting help that way, that's what I like about it. Is, well, we need to be better stewards. The, the money's limited, and it, I mean, it's biblical. The poor mm -hmm. will always be with us. So we need to make sure that we are helping the ones who are really striving um, to change their circumstances and not just here, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching that man to fish. Yeah, and... and 
and again, offering hope to people who didn't know there was any hope. Right. That's that's the thing that, that, that resonates with me about it. Um, what else you got coming into the fall year? 26 year now. Yeah, um, just trying to really dig in with these housing pieces because um, if I had to say the number one gaping need in this county is decent affordable housing. Um, mm -hmm. So really trying to build those programs and um, excited about a potential partnership with Habitat for Humanity and AIM. Um, they have someone that's getting ready to take their um, test to be a residential contractor. And so then we can partner with them on our ERs, um, pay them the $7,500 that we would pay a contractor. Mm -hmm. And so both organizations win. Right. Um, so just looking at opportunities with that. Like I said, our Snap to Work program. Um, You've got a great vision for that. I do. You want to see a building with a hub. You were, you were talking about this before we started where people can go interview for jobs and have somebody to watch their kids. Um, Drop-in childcare. I mean, you know, you think about it. I, see, I'm not, that phrase is new to me. I've not thought the, about that. The number one reason that um, if you talk to HR folks, people show up at a job interview with a child. If you're a single mom and you don't have family, right. what are you going to do? Leave your child in a hot car or take them to a job interview? Because there are very few daycare centers that will accept drop-ins. Right. You know, you have to make a commitment to that. And if you don't have a job, you can't pay to have your child go to daycare every day. So it's a real challenge that people have. So to have a drop-in child care center, what a great ministry. What a great teaching opportunity for Anderson University Early Childhood Education, Tri-County Tech Early Childhood Education, to have a learning lab where they assisted staff people in taking care of these children. And you, you're casting a vision in a place where there's public transit and there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle coming in. Customer service training opportunities, workforce training opportunities, um, having public-private partnerships so that the city and the county and AIM, we know what each other's doing, so we're leveraging resources instead of working in silos and wasting money. So we got that coming up, and of course we mentioned Trick or Treat, so there's unique. That'll be upon well, us before long. Yeah, so if you're just put an extra few cans in your pantry every week from here, you'll be ready for that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Thanksgiving, you do turkeys. And, we do, we do. And then well, Christmas is here. So, I mean, we're really, we're five months from starting to sign people up, So, but it's not too early for churches that want to start lining up. And right. it might not be a bad idea for... You know, them to get their joy boxes so they can I start know. playing. I, I, when, when I need I've been trying to get Christina to do the joy boxes forever. We'll we'll talk more about that when she makes one. We need some Sunday some school classes builders. to have some joy boxes. That's right. Once so you get them made, I'll, huh? yeah, I'll help you get I'm them out. I'm going to get Michael right. Cody, one of my great, great volunteers, to make me some joy boxes. Do that. I'll, no, do that. I'll, I'll help you. I, we'll, we'll, we'll do a campaign on that. We'll pitch that. We'll buy some Facebook ads. I'll help you get that because that needs to get out. You know, Who do you want to brag on? Who do you want to brag on this help team this past several months? Well, um, I know you can't mention everybody. Publix really comes to mind as far as a corporate, large corporate entity. Um, Publix has brought us two different truckloads of food. One wow. had a truckload of about um, 15000 20000 The other one had $22,000 right. worth of food. Uh, and they, they came down and volunteered. They, came down, they volunteered. We had 79 uh, Publix employees that volunteered all day long. Their CEO from Lakeland, Florida, um, they did five stops. We were one of the five stops across the country where they have the Publix grocery stores. 
that he actually was in our food pantry shaking hands and taking his picture with his employees. Um, they gave us the check for over $11,000 actual cash. Um, just an amazing, amazing partnership. Good community citizen. Yes. They've always had a good reputation for how they treated employees. And if you, you know, I don't, they're not an advertiser. I wish they were, but I can just say that uh, you don't find any place cleaner or nicer or the people kind of nicer, or, you know. But I'm, that, that was a really good story when they, uh, the CEO came and all those people came. And I knew they brought a lot of food. I didn't realize they gave cash and food. But. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, Tim Hayden, local businessman. Yeah. Uh, he Sergeant. and his wife, Dom, Sergeant Metal, yeah. have just been great friends to AIM over the years. So. Small businessman of the year from the chamber. Abs absolutely. He, he spoke. He did a great, great job of speaking. Uh, we actually, Dana and I were at a conference in Columbia at the South Carolina Chamber that they did in combination with SC Works. And uh, Tim was on the agenda, didn't even know it. And he, he did a fabulous job on a panel of representing our community. Um, Sullivan's. Um, Sullivan's catered our all-in dinner. Probably the best food. I've heard so many comments about how incredible the food was. Um, Bill that did that. That is incredible. Gratis. I'm telling you, Bill does so many things behind the scenes for people. And, and, and I've, I've said this before. People say, you always say this because it's, it's so true. And you've, you've been doing this kind of work for a long time, and I'm not calling anybody out. But you know sometimes when some people say they'll bring some food for you, some cheese and a couple of chicken fingers, it's everything on Sullivan's menu. When he brings, it's the best of what he can make, and he's a chef. It's the best food. He always, that's always, when I first met him, it was at one of the real early ones they did downtown for y'all. And I was just amazed that it was all the best stuff. It wasn't a little sandwich plate and some cheese and some chicken fingers. It was quail and shrimp and grits and all his really top he, and he probably had eight staff we did it at hannah high school he probably had eight staff he had just gotten back from israel right and that was like the next day i mean he hadn't had any sleep and it, it truly was just a fabulous event the food right. was was fantastic and one more shout out um electrotech um tracy craft and her husband own it is out um, what they near do? Walgreens. What do they it's do? a little, it's a motor and drive oh, okay, company. Okay. I, hope, I, hope I would have no reason right. to know that, you know. Yeah. So. Um, but um, Tracy's one of my board members, and she brought some of her men down to do a tour and found out that we were going to have to lose our clothing closet for our Women and Children Succeeding program because we were out of space and we needed that for office space. So she and her men have created. Um, uh, for our women and children succeeding, a clothing boutique at the plant. Wow. There's a room for small, medium, large, oh, cool. and accessories. One of her employees' wife is the manager for Cato. They give us brand new clothes, Greg. And this is such a luxury for our women because most of them have never been able to go to Cato Let's go or do, even to Walmart. Let's go out and do a video of that one day. Oh, when it's Tracy open. would love Let's that. do it. You, you figure that. out time and talk to her, and let's, let's plan on doing some video work because that would be a really good... Yeah. She does car clinics for my girls. Um, so they can get the um, oil changed and filters. She's put tires on some of our girls' wow. cars. And one of the coolest things she recently did, she funded an opportunity for all of our women to go to Sullivan's and have dinner in the Oxford room. Oh, okay. And Beth Batson did an etiquette class because she knew that when these women graduate, Many times for an interview, somebody's going to take you to dinner in a high-end restaurant. Mm -hmm. And to have them comfortable with um, having dinner in a restaurant like Sullivan's. Mm -hmm. so, Beth is very well-mannered, too. Yeah, Beth's got good manners. Not Phil. 
Not so much Phil, but she can't take him anywhere. But uh, but she did a great job and really enjoyed it. How about churches? Any who's churches still stepping up? Anybody? Do you want to? I'm not saying that you um, can't mention everybody. I know because a lot of people are doing things, and I don't want to act like you're. I'm just telling you to list everybody. I'm just saying anybody right. that you has gone above and beyond the call. Probably first press. They have really, you know, with with the dollars that they give in comparison to other churches. They've been very community. I mean, they they you know. Since, and it's not just game, like you say. They they helped. So they stepped many up with Haven and made that work because it was Haven was just about done with their big holiday meals because they didn't have room or the and they said, hey, we got room. They just worked with um, Casey at Emmanuel's Hammer, and you need to interview him sometime. He's oh, wow. awesome. I'd get that from um, We gave a name of somebody that lived near the church, mm-hmm. and the men from the church, in partnership with Casey Carter, Emmanuel's Hammer, have pretty much redid a lady's house there. Wow. Um, so First Presence just really, they, they do a lot for a lot of people. Some um, churches, I mean... In, 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 it, if they can't commit long term, they can say this year, AIM is going to be our focus project. So well, and Grace Episcopal, you know, Grace I, always, I have to, to yeah. mention Grace. Every year, Grace for such a small church. I mean, I, I don't know. Grace probably does two or three hundred on a good Sunday. Yes, and they do more than churches with thousands. Yes, yeah. For for the entire community, Grace probably does more than any church that I can think mm-hmm. of. Which is long term. I mean, it was your first home was over there. Yes. The soup kitchen's still running, and, and I always it brag on. Out of that. I've always bragged. People don't believe me, but that's some of the best meat and three in town. Mm-hmm. Give them some money and go down there and check it out. They do a yeah. really good job down there. Yeah. So y'all, that's the other thing is there's y'all. There's not a clearinghouse here other than y'all. When people say, like, if somebody calls and said, "Hey, you know, we don't have food for lunch today," and you can say, "I can tell you where Merch Soup Kitchen is. Mm-hmm. Tell you where to get down there." You know. Uh, there's different things, you know, where Clean Start is. You can, t- you know where all the different pieces of the puzzle are. I used to laugh because the social workers from the hospital would call. And this is, of course, years ago when I did Frontline. You know, right. I'm the one that answered the phone. And um, they'd say, hey, Christy, we know that if you can't do this, you can tell us who can. And and I said, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, Kurt Oglesby was the... Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the CEO of the hospital that dates me because that's how long ago and I was right. like well I'm just going to have to call Kurt and tell him he's going to have to put me on the payroll you know we would laugh because <laughs> referral fee yeah but um, we we still have a, a relationship with the hospital where we do that they have something called the HOP program the Healthy um, Outcomes uh, Partnership where they're trying to decrease the number of emergency room visits that they get and so they send folks here for us to do an assessment and connect them um, with the different resources that are available in the community. All right, we're talking about connecting. First of all, before we get to the connecting, AIM is now just three letters. It's not Anderson. No, it will always be Anderson. But tell people what the AIM stands for when they see the logo. But if we just do the AIM, it stands for we accept people where they are, we inspire them to want a better life, and we minister to them along their journey. Right. And people can get on their calendars now to start planning for Christmas Mm -hmm. for the trick-or-treat thing. Mm -hmm. And... What's the, uh, of course, the website, namecharity.org, mm-hmm. they can give there. Mm-hmm. Uh, your Facebook, your Facebook page, it keeps yes. up. Like, like our Facebook, we're posting. Facebook is posted every day. You kind of update pretty much every day on stuff. So mm-hmm. that's a good place for people to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they want to, if there's somewhere, if they want to volunteer or call, or they know somebody that might can help, what, who do they call? What's the main Amy Hoyes. Give me your main number. 226-2273. Uh, and okay. as for Amy, she's in the process of interviewing for a volunteer coordinator right now. Um, to assist her in that, um, you know, we we have a minimum of eighty volunteers on site doing 
interviews and helping in the feed pantry every week. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. We need some more young people, don't we? We do. What's the age of average age of your volunteer? I've been asking everybody this, and it's been pretty high. <laughs> yeah, probably probably sixty-five. Well, that's about what everybody's telling me. Yeah, about and probably about sixty-five. We were talking about community before, just community engagement in general. When you start talking to the people who are doing things in this community. Uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago when I was talking to Carrie Jones, she was just talking about there aren't any young volunteers that want to help, you know. And I know some of it is stage of life, and some of it, but some of it's just lazy, not engaged, mm-hmm. selfish, mm-hmm. narrow-minded. So what's your greatest need right now? What If somebody says, all right, I listen to this, and I've been thinking about AIM for a while, what can I do right now to help AIM? Well, I think that couple things come to mind. Money. Of course, always is. You do a lot of can, stuff with money. Can be used for a Remind, remind people, I want you to remind people how much ministry work y'all can do for $1,000. Um, it costs about, um, for every, um, it's about 10 cents off of every dollar that actually takes to run the ministry. Right. So $1,000, $100. So, but if somebody says, you know, we got all these things to do, $1,000 worth of ministry basically is going to be. About a thousand dollars, right? So people well, can give a thousand dollars, right? <laughs> right. Well, and the other thing is, for some of our programs like the Snap to Work, it's leveraged. So if you give a thousand, we're going to get two, almost oh, two thousand right. dollars right. worth of um, available assistance out. But there. I don't want to make sure. I, I was joking. Most of your contributions are small, yes. but they add up in a hurry. We got two hundred thousand people in this county to add up in a hurry. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, my thing, Greg, kind of back to the joy boxes, and I got to get those. But I always used to say, if every Sunday school class in Anderson County would commit $10 a month. $10 a month, every Sunday school class in Anderson County, wow, what we wouldn't be able to do right. with that, how we wouldn't be able to multiply that. Well, this is it's an old broken record, but we still have yet to find a, uh, a gathering source for one local dollar, but that's coming too. Mm-hmm. The idea of just those small amounts that you can sustain, because like you're talking about $10 a month, if 10% of the citizens in Anderson County gave $1 a month, and that's a small, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And, uh, really? and it's sustainable money because they might not next year, but everybody else might. And right. I think people have lost that vision, I think, sometimes of, um, you know, the, the old the proverbial widow's might. They forget that. What, what's, a, what's a dollar going to do, you know? Exactly. What's, if I gave $5, what's that going to do? It's, it's incredible. Yeah. If everybody did that. Yeah. Or just a little few people. You know, it doesn't take oh, yeah. that many. We, we're yeah. 200,000 in this county now. Right. When you started AIM, I was looking at the census stuff the other day. We were at about 160,000. We've really, boom, mm-hmm. exploded. And that's a lot a lot of people right. and a lot more needs. And uh, so, uh, well, we'll get together soon and talk about the boutique because I'm interested in that. Air conditioners. Air conditioners, okay. We have three air conditioners left. Oh, my. And it is hot. Oh, my gosh, is it hot. You know, people forget... And we don't give these to just anybody. These are folks with legitimate breathing right, problems. Right, health issues, right. Yes, so right. We're, we're, we're good stewards of your money. We, we truly try to vet and make sure that we're giving it to the right people. And a lot people. of places are putting them on sale now. Even though it is hot, it's toward the end of the season. Right. They're starting to move out of summer stock stuff. Right. And so we, we can to... use, um, and not to sound unappreciative, but we really try to give new well, yeah. just because of the liability. If there was a wiring issue and it was an older one, unfortunately, we live in a land of 
Well, also the, the cooling cost of an older one yes. and repair and maintenance. I mean, if it, yeah. you give somebody one that lasts five days, then you got to pay somebody to go take. Right. You've not helped anybody. So, so, so. we really are looking for. for fans? Still taking fans? Still taking fans. Because yeah. those are super cheap. Yeah. yeah. You can go buy box fans by the yeah. truckload. So, so that, those are like, I would say. Summertime urgent. That's our summertime urgent. And, you know, like I say, money is always a. Help and, and volunteers, farmers out volunteers. There, and volunteers and farmers out there that have extra produce. Don't throw it away. Bring it down. Have you talked to the farmers market about that? Um, we actually had some folks down there doing benefit bank counseling, um, signing folks up for SNAP benefits and things mm -hmm. like that. Oh, that and was they, the thing that yeah. Uh -huh, and they went around and they talked to them, but hadn't had a whole lot of outcome yet. I'll talk so. to Sharon too, because that that is one of those things just to remind people. You know, if you're packing up and you got some stuff left after the farmers market, it's not you're not far at all. Bring it down. Less than a mile. Put it in a box and put it on the, um, the, what am I trying to say? The dock, the right. loading dock. If you know, if it's after hours, just put it on the loading dock. Right. Somebody will get. If somebody it. gets it, well, it's better than it going to waste. Yeah, because right now uh, it's the wonderful summer tomato season, but they're coming in so fast right. that they're going to start having leftovers and stuff. Yes. You don't want to see those. You know, the old joke used to be that they, you know, when when we were growing up, people would. Fill up a paper bag with tomatoes and leave them on the doorstep at night. <laughs> Trying to get rid of all of them. Uh -huh. I'll take them though if you got uh, any. Uh, nothing like a good tomato and Duke's mayonnaise mm -hmm. and salt and pepper. That's when you have to switch back to white bread too. I don't know why. <laughs> you have to go back to the white bread for the perfect old time <laughs> tomato sandwich. But we'll get together soon about that boutique thing. Okay. And great. I do want to yeah, talk to you more to about out. the Emmanuel's hammer thing okay. too. You need that. to interview Casey. He's a I definitely super, do. super guy. But the, the boutique thing sounds like a really good video. We'll get done and. Um, We'll work on that later. Thanks, Chris. That's great. Thank you, Greg. Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I know I keep mentioning Christmas. Uh, it is it is only 181 days away. So staying with that theme, plan now to sponsor a needy family with AIM at Christmas this year. Uh, it'll be a crazy blessing to you. You can get your Sunday school class or your small group or your church or whoever. Uh, any of your civic groups, uh, reading groups would be great. Just start saving a little bit now, and you'll be ready to really bless some of our neighbors in need. Uh, with a little help during the holiday season, it's always a wonderful thing. As Christy mentioned, one of the ways you also can help now is to buy a little extra produce at the Anderson County Farmer's Market and drop it off at AIM. You can get it there. Uh, it's only a mile from the market, so if you go by the market, just get a, an extra bag and get some produce and drop it by and share the bounty of these wonderful fresh fruits and vegetables that we're seeing locally come in. Um, did you know the Anderson, Anderson Observer podcast, News from People You Trust, is made possible in part by the Anderson County Farmer's Market. It is your hometown source for everything fresh for the table. Uh, summer tomatoes are piled high now. Great selection. Some heirlooms coming in. My favorite. Along with fresh corn, which I've been buying out of the back of a truck, which the guy just picked a couple hours earlier. Squash, greens, potatoes, blackberries, a little bit of anything you could want. And it's almost time for our melons to start coming in. So drop by... Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. and get the best produce in town. And, of course, the Anderson Farm and Food Association is there Tuesday nights from 4.30 to 8.30, so you can check them out as well. Anderson County Farmer's Market and AIM, though, is really one of the or two of the reasons that we can be proud to call Anderson County our home. And another thing I love about our county is how many amazing stories I come across when I start talking to people. And one I found out uh, uh, through the grapevine it was a world-class professional wrestler who retired in 1977, but he still works security at the historic courthouse in downtown Anderson. 
That's Tommy Siegler. Tommy fought against some of the biggest names in wrestling in his day, either as a tag team with or against, uh, including people like Andre the Giant, Anderson Brothers, Ole and Gene, Brute Bernard, Argentina Apollo, The Assassin, and many, many more. His stories go on and on. It's impossible to tell them all. One thing that was interesting, though, he was also one of a small group of students in his graduating high school class at Iva High School, the last graduating class at Iva, to name the new high school. They named it Crescent. Him and three other students won the contest to name it, and they all named it Crescent. Um, but Tommy, when I sat down with him, had this to say about his career in the squared ring. This event, one fall, 15 minutes, time limit. Introducing first, in this corner, from Belton, South Carolina, at 231 pounds, Tommy Siegler. Well, I grew up in Anderson starting when I started in the first grade. My daddy had worked in construction, and until I got old enough to start school, we just moved all over the South. I lived in five or six different states, and once I got old enough to start the school, he decided to quit moving me around, and and he moved us here to Anderson, and I went to school here in Anderson through the eighth grade. And after that, uh, we moved down to Iowa, where my daddy was originally from, and I went finished high school down there, the last class at Iowa High School in 1956. The following year is when Crescent High School opened. Now, did you were you a, did you like to fight? Were you a wrestler? <laughs> did you? Well, there was no wrestling at any schools back in those days here. No wrestling. I like to get out in the yard and try to wrestle with somebody <laughs> if I could get somebody to do that. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you finished school and you went to college where? I didn't go to college. I went to work right after. High school, I went to work, and uh, I worked the first year up in Flint, Michigan with General Motors, and then I came back down here and went to work with Daniel Construction Company, and they trained me to be an engineer, and I worked with them several years before I started wrestling full-time. Well, now, let's talk about how you moved from being an engineer to being a wrestler. How, how did that, uh, that happen? Well, during the time I was working with Daniel Construction Company, I, I was working on one of their jobs down in Pensacola, Florida, and I started working out at the YMCA down there, just working out with weights. And uh, I met some guys that were wrestled part-time, and they got me to start wrestling with them part-time around that area. And uh, some of the full-time wrestlers that would come to Pensacola once a week, they would come there, and sometimes they would come by the Y during the day to just to work out a little bit. And, and I got to know some of them, but they wouldn't wrestle with me during the day there because they couldn't take a chance on getting hurt and not being able to wrestle that night. But they they knew me, and we got to be friends. And after a few years of me just wrestling part-time, some of them talked to me and uh, told me I should go do it full-time. So after a few years, I did. I gave up my job with Daniel Construction and started wrestling full-time. Now, back then, not a lot of people were lifting weights. You can see that more now. What got you interested in lifting weights? I don't know what got me so interested, but uh, like I did, when I, when I first started lifting weights around this area, I think there was only two other guys in Anderson County that I knew that lifted weights, and there were no gyms in any place like that to do it. If you lifted weights, you had to have them in, in your yard or in, in your house and do it. But I just uh, I always thought I wanted to do that, and I, I didn't get started lifting weights till I was about 18 or 19. Did you play other sports? Well, I played... Uh, Football, basketball, and baseball in high school. But nobody was lifting weights back then. No, for high school. Right. Not even, not even college. No, none of the Clemson football players were lifting weights back in the fifties. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so you were an engineer and you went from being a part-time wrestler and you decided you wanted to do that full-time. What what was the first time you remember wrestling when you became a professional full-time? Well, I, I went down to Pensacola because I had worked there several times, several years during my work in construction, so I decided I would go down there to start wrestling full-time in that area around uh, Mobile, Alabama, and Pensacola, and Tallahassee, and stuff. And uh, I wrestled for four weeks there, and and I realized I wasn't making quite as much money as I thought I might. So I decided I would maybe go back and try some some more work with construction. And the construction company said, "Well, we'll send you down to Puerto Rico for a while. We got a job there. We need you at." So I talked to a promoter in. Uh, Tampa, Florida, that had already told me he promoted wrestling in in Puerto Rico. So I talked to him, and he said, well, if you're going down there, we'll we'll let you wrestle all the time in Puerto Rico, and we won't have to fly somebody down there as much. So I went down to Puerto Rico, and I wrestled there for six or seven months. I stayed there, and after that time was up, I was, uh, I was ready to go back and start it full-time again, and I did. So uh, after that, I gave up my construction completely for several years, just wrestle full-time. Now, when was that roughly? Uh, that was 69 when I started, and I wrestled until uh, December of 77 when I had a serious injury that ended my career. Okay, I want to get to that in a minute. Wrestling was a lot different when you started, 69. People think about wrestling today as sort of a, a circus, but back then it was more, it, it looked more like almost like Olympic wrestling in some ways than it did the show stuff. Oh, much, much different then. And back then, most people had used their real name. Um, I always wrestled by my real name all over the world. And uh, most people did use their real name or a name that sounded real. They didn't use any kind of uh, name that sounded like a cartoon character or anything like that, in it, like they do now. So. Do you, do you have certain matches you remember best? Do you have, like, favorites or things that, that, that strike you and that you still remember today? Well, there's one match that uh, a lot of people still remember. It was a, a match against Dick Steinborn in Atlanta, and that was in 73. And I have talked to so many wrestlers since then, and they tell me that they were trained by that match. They said when they went to a wrestling camp to be trained, the trainer would show them that match, that particular match, and said, this is what you need to learn how to do. And I'd, I'll always remember that match. And I had several others. Uh, I wrestled uh, uh, several different people. I wrestled several world champions. And I know one time I, I wrestled a world champion in, out in Los Angeles, but it was a non-title match. And I beat him that time, and he, he was surprised. So I got scheduled for another title match against him later on several months later but I, my injury ended my career before I got to that match so how many uh, do you know how many matches you had before you finished? I had over 2,000 wow that, people need, can't even comprehend that in any sport now no I know you were wrestling what how many nights a week we wrestled six nights a week we never wrestled on Sunday back then we wrestled six nights. If you, if you weren't injured, you wrestled six nights. If you got injured, you may have to take a week or two off. But, uh, yeah, but you, it was a full-time thing. And you had some titles. You won some titles. I did, yes. What were your titles? Well, I was a, a, had a Florida title, a title in Georgia. Um, I was, my best title, I guess, would be 
I was British Commonwealth heavyweight champion at one time. And also in 1977, I was picked as International Wrestler of the Year. So I, and I had, I had several smaller titles before that. So. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Now, you wrestled, you just mentioned the British Commonwealth and International. You wrestled all over the world. I did. What was it like wrestling in other countries? Well, sometimes you'd wrestle, be wrestling somebody that didn't speak English and you didn't speak Chinese or their language, too. So it was a different thing altogether. But uh, I enjoyed being in, I spent several months in Australia and several months in uh, New Zealand. Those two places I really liked. And uh, I could understand, I would, if I had to live there full time, I'd still enjoy those places. But I uh, wrestled in some others, too. Uh, but, you know, it's just wrestling all over the United States, it takes a good bit of your time and good education. I, I lived up in Canada and wrestled up there for several months, too. Now, y'all traveled around in groups? No, not always. Not no. Always. This, nowadays, I think they go in groups and go somewhere and wrestle for a, two, a couple of days, and then the group goes somewhere else. But back then, uh, I always went separately. And now, did you get on a train or a bus or a plane, or how did you get from match to match? I drove, and once, once occasionally, I might get on a plane. But back in those days, usually you drive about two thousand miles a week. And you were for how long were you fighting six nights a week? Well, that was for about eight or nine years. And so, in 1977, you were wrestling and you got injured. Tell me, what was that match? What was going on in that match, and how did you get hurt? The match was in uh, in Singapore, and it was a tag match. And my partner, I saw him get out of the ring one time. I didn't know. I thought maybe he was just getting down on the floor or something. And I so I stayed in the ring, was wrestling against one of the opponents, and and. Uh, Kept looking around and didn't see my partner. I didn't know where he went. And finally, the the other guy, the other guy on that team, he came in and both of them just jumped all over me. And and uh, finally, they got me pretty well injured. And and I noticed the the crowd, that was the fans there, got real upset. They were up right close to the ring arguing, and, and they could tell they were fixing to come up in the ring to get try to save me. And about that time, uh, probably 25 or 30 police officers came running in there with helmets on and a shield and a stick like that, getting the crowd back. And they took the, my two opponents out of the ring, took them back to their dressing room. But uh, I never was able to get to get well after that. What I, happened? They, they injured my back. They kept jumping on my back. And, uh, and when I, I got back to the hotel and I could hardly couldn't stand up and walk much and I, I asked the promoter to get me a chiropractor and he said we don't have chiropractors at all in Singapore he said well, I can put you in the hospital and let them go ahead and do some surgery and I said well no, I don't want to do that I'd rather go home to have my surgery and it was in about two weeks before Christmas and I already had a ticket to get me back but it was about 10 days before the ticket was scheduled and I, I talked to the airlines, and they said, well, we can fly you from Singapore to Hong Kong, but there's no empty seats from Hong Kong onto the United States to that ticket you already got. So I said, if you come to Hong Kong, you're going to have to wait here 10 days. So I ended up just spending 10 more days and then laying in a, the hotel there in Singapore before I left. But once I got home, uh, when I left when I left Singapore, they 
raised some seat uh, armrests up and let me lay down one row of seats all the way to Hong Kong. From Hong Kong on into the United States, they didn't have any empty seats. So once we got up where they could let me undo the seat belt, they fixed me a place to lay in the aisle. <laughs> and it was a flight at night and people walking them down the aisle almost tripping over me. They didn't know what was wrong with me, but I had to lay on the floor. But once I got into Atlanta later at the end of that flight, uh, I went to a chiropractor in Atlanta and he worked on me. It was about midnight. He worked on me and got me in a feeling a whole lot better. So the next morning I drove on back to Belton and went to my chiropractor there that I'd always gone to and he said you've got some damage here that chiropractor is not going to fix and so he made some arrangements for me to go over to back to Atlanta and I went over to the Atlanta Falcon doctors they checked me and said well we, can, we need to go in there and fuse one of those joints in your back and you can take 12 months off and let it heal and then you can go back to wrestling if you want to so I said okay well we schedule that and I was there in the hospital, so he, they came and took me back and did some kind of test the night before the surgery was scheduled. And about midnight that night, he and the doctor and the nurse came in into my room, woke me up, said, we need to talk to you before we have that surgery in the morning. Said, that test we did a while ago shows there's a lot more damage in your back than we thought. Said, instead of having one bad joint, you've got three. And I said, well, you're going to fuse three joints? They said, no, we can't do that because if we fuse that many, then you have a long, stiff place in your back. And every time you move or bend, said the, the disc above it and below it's going to take extra pressure, and then they're going to go bad right away. So I said, well, there's nothing we can do about fixing that. I said, if you want us to, we'll go in there and try to trim the disc away from the nerves and get some of the pain gone, but there's no way we can fix it up. So I said, well, let's do that. Well, since I'm already here, let's see if we can get the pressure off the nerves. And we did that, but... Uh, they couldn't fix it, so I knew I never could wrestle again after that. So it was 1978, and your wrestling career was over. In 1978, right. And uh, how old were you then? Well, I was about 39. Yeah. So what did you decide you were going to do? I mean, what were you going to do? Well, I went back to construction. Back as it worked. back? Well, I was working as an engineer. That's right. That's yeah. Engineer, yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, there was some couple of lawyers wanted to put me on disability. And I said, I don't know if I want to do that. And uh, they said, well, you can't wrestle. What else do you do? I said, well, I was a construction engineer. And they said, well, do you ever have to climb or lift or anything? I said, well, sometime, sometime I might climb up on top of a boiler, see if the piping's put in like it should have been. And they said, well, we don't want you climbing, so we're going to go ahead and put you on disability. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. But I did. I went to work and worked several more years in construction, but I did working in an office most of that time. All right, so you finished that, and how did you get from there to working for Anderson County? Well, after I worked several more years in construction, I decided I wanted to try something different altogether, so that's when I went into security work. I went to work for one of the largest security companies in the nation in Atlanta. They had about 4,000 employees, and they trained me put me in charge of security at the Equitable Building in downtown Atlanta. If you know much about Atlanta, it's, it's 100 Peachtree Street, right down the heart of Atlanta. And when it was built in 1960, it was the tallest building in Atlanta. But they put me in charge of security there, and there was about, about 3,000 people worked in that building. And I had a 
a crew that worked for me, and we had to have security in that building 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I stayed over there for two years doing that, and then I decided I was ready to come back home. I, one of my da- my da- daughter that was getting ready to go into high school then told me she needed me to come back here more than just on weekends. And so I told the company that I was working for that I was going to have to leave, and they said, well, we got an office in Greenville. So said, Look, why don't we just put you in the Greenville office? So I did that. I worked there for them uh, three or four years in Greenville doing security with that same company. And finally, when I just, they asked me if they would close that Greenville office, would I want to go back to Atlanta? And I said, no, I don't. So I left them, and I started doing security work here at the Civic Center and working for the county. So I've been been doing that now for a long, long time. And so now your title is what? You're, you're, I know you're in charge of security at the historic courthouse. That's right. And you've been doing this how long now here? No, I've been in this building here for about 15 years. Wow. You may have been here longer than anybody else. Right? <laughs> One of the longest ones, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy this. I'm, I'm here five days a week, and so I'm, I'm here late at night. If they're having a, any kind of meeting, I'm here till everybody leaves the building, and I check it all and lock it up. But I enjoy security work. Well, and this this historic courthouse and the folks who work here seem to have almost a family like closeness. A lot of times, you see, I hear, I see y'all talking a lot, and I see people. They all seem to know each other really well. Well, we do. That's right. And uh, when there's only fifty or sixty people in your building, you soon get to know all, every one of them, and you get to know their family and their relatives and family come to meet, see them sometime in the building. So you get to know everybody. Now, your health is okay now. You're, you're back to lifting weights, right? You're still Oh, yes, now? yes. I lift weights. I just had, can't lift anything that would injure my uh, my back, that part. Right. But I, I can lift uh, lighter weights and, and hit more reps, and I still like to lift weights every day almost. Lift every day. So I got a gym in the basement of my home, and I got 4,000 pounds of weights in that basement. So I can lift anything I want to without having to change it much, just go pick up another one. And so your back's feeling okay? It's okay, as long as I don't, as long as I don't have an accident of any kind, uh, aggravated, uh, it's all right. I, I can get by with very little pain now. Well, I've got to ask one question, having watched wrestling while you were wrestling. That was, um, how much of it was scripted? Uh, you'd have to talk to somebody else, because it wasn't, mine wasn't. Your day. No. I was looking at some, and I'll have some of the videos uh, as part of this video of you wrestling. It doesn't. It doesn't resemble anything like wrestling. Now, it, it looked, like I said, it looked more almost, particularly when y'all started off, almost like Olympic-style wrestling. Y'all were looking for grappling, and it didn't look like... So So when you went in the ring, you didn't know what was going to happen. No, I didn't know. No. So, and usually if it was a, a going to be a large wrestling match, a group of matches somewhere in a big town with a lot of people, they would always ask me to come and wrestle, and they'd put me against somebody at wrestle like I did so we'd have a good wrestling match that night and and they, they knew that neither one of us was going to be out there trying to uh, trying to injure each other uh, fatally or anything like that Or, but they well, they wanted us to wrestle and most of us back in those days did wrestle. And it was huge, community to community people. Oh yeah. Fighting Anderson, did you ever wrestle here? Yes, back in those days uh, Anderson had wrestling every three weeks. The rec center. At the rec center on a Thursday every three weeks and I was there several times I spent about, uh, I'll say after all those years I wrestled, I spent about three of those years in the mid-Atlantic area with the, both Carolinas and Virginia. And so I would be in Anderson. That was televised a lot, mid-Atlantic. Oh, yes, yes, it was. Yes. But I would I would uh, 
be wrestling anywhere in either Charlotte, Greenville, Spartanburg, Charleston, Norfolk, Richmond, all those kind of places, Asheville. I'd be driving about 2,000 miles a week from one place to the other. Had all Sundays off, though. That does not sound glamorous. <laughs> it's different. I had to spend several hours a day driving and wrestle 15 or 20 minutes when I got there. What uh, Do you have any opinion at all about wrestling today, what it's become? be honest with you, I don't watch it much anymore. Uh, it's not in it. It's not what I like. The, the, what I'm seeing nowadays is not what I like. So I don't watch it much anymore. Uh, there's maybe one or two guys around that I knew and still think a lot of. And uh, if I know they're going to be on TV, I might watch their match. But normally I don't watch it enough to even know who's on that night. So. So you're still in touch with some some of the people a little, or you just kind of well, they always remember. We have a reunion uh, first weekend in March every year down in Mobile, and it's for the guys that have retired. And when I first started going down there back in '03, there was over 200 of people there, and the fans don't come. It's all people that are, were wrestlers or their their family, and there were quite a few of the older guys my age and. Uh, we always spoke to each other, and sometimes we were not close f- friends at that time. But uh, after we retired, we became friends. And but now, so many of them have passed away. Uh, I still go down there, but there's fewer of the older t- time wrestlers that I'm, that I'm one of. But um, I enjoy seeing the ones that are there. Uh, Ron Ronnie Garvin is always there, and. Uh, Quite a few others that used to come and they're just not not there anymore. In your years here at the courthouse, have you ever had to wrestle anybody? You ever had to grab no, anybody or? No, not really. I, I've been I've been prepared to a few times. <laughs> I thought if it's what it's going to take, I was going to do it. I was going to put a hold on them, but hadn't gone that far yet. So that's why you still live late. Yes. <laughs> and so you still enjoy what working here? Plan on staying a while. I'll probably stay a few more years, yeah, uh, if they want me to. Uh, I've told them several years ago, if they need me to leave, let me know, and I'll, I'll be glad to get out of the way for them. But uh, they, they act like they want me to stay a little bit longer. I don't know if they feel sorry for me and just trying to help me out, but, uh, but uh, if they want me to stay, I will. If they want me to leave, I will. Well, I think it's two things. I think one, you're popular. Everybody here likes you that I've talked to. And the second one, I know some of them are still afraid of you, so they <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Siegler, I appreciate it. I hope people enjoy this story. I know people love to hear stories about what people are doing, and uh, I think people are going to enjoy this. Well, I hope so. Thank you for giving me a chance. Thanks. I can tell you that uh, Mr. Siegler is quite the gentleman. He's full of great stories. If you ever run into him, if you're ever in the historic courthouse downstairs, go in the basement and have to sign in, ask him about it. I know he'd, he'd uh, if he has time, be tickled to tell you about it. Well, the week is now leading up to July 4th, and there's a lot of things going on. One of the things I did want to mention is the, is the Cancer Association of Anderson is having a hot dog fundraiser in partnership with Piedmont Natural Gas. It's going to be on Wednesday. It's a hot dog plate sale. It's going to be held at the Anderson Resource Center located, located at 1325 George Albert Lake Road from 1130 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. on Wednesday. It's $5 for two hot dogs, chips, slaw, cookies, and a drink. Can't beat that anywhere. If you have any questions, you can call Suzanne at... Two four five five zero six zero, and ask her about the hot dog supper. And don't forget, the farmers market is open Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday from eight a.m. to one p.m. 
and the Anderson Farm Food Association on Tuesday nights, 4.30 to 8.30. And Thursday, we'll bring more fun and music downtown with another block party. If you're missing those, I'm telling you, you're missing out. And then on Friday, Powdersville is going to have the grand opening for their brand new YMCA, and I'm sure the folks up there are happy about that. And we just hope the forecast will continue to bring us some rain. Well, finally, one more time, I'm going to ask you to vote next Tuesday, which is tomorrow. Uh, get out tomorrow and vote. You've got 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. All the precincts are open. Whomever you support, get out and cast that vote. It only takes a few minutes, and you'll be doing your fellow citizens a favor by making your voice heard and the voice of the people heard. Democracy is really messy, but it really does work best when the most people get out and vote. And uh, that's our message for this week. Please vote. Well, that's about it for the Anderson Reserver podcast for June 27, 2016. We are news from people you trust. Join us next week, but until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place, and don't forget to vote.